we are royalty. It's just the most wonderful thing. And it's not because of anything that we've done, but it's because of what God has done in making us part of Jesus Christ. But are we aware of our new status? Are we aware of our position of privilege and honour? Do we even know that the blood that runs in the veins of our new life is royal blood? And it got me to thinking, what about if you suddenly found this out? What about if somebody came to you one day and said, look, I've been doing all this research and I've actually found out that you are royal. You're an heir to the throne. I wonder what effect that would have on you. What about if you really got it? What difference would it make in your life? And I couldn't help thinking about a film I watched a few years ago called The Princess Diaries. And it was about a, a young girl <coughs> who was 15 years old. She was called Mia. And uh, she was a bit awkward, a bit klutzy. I think that's an American word, but you know what I mean, clumsy. And she was raised by a single mother, and she suddenly discovers that she's the daughter of the sole remaining heir of a king who's just died. And she has to make the choice between continuing her life as a teenager in San Francisco or stepping up to the throne. And here's the moment that she finds out that I want to share with you now. Why on earth would you pick me to be your princess? Since your father died, you are the natural heir to the throne of Genovia. That's our law. I'm royal by marriage. You are royal by blood. You can rule. Rule? Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. Now you have really got the wrong girl. I never lead anybody. Not at, not at brownies. Not at campfire girls. Um. Queen Clarice, my expectation in life is to be invisible. And I'm good at it. Amelia, I had other expectations also. In my wildest dreams, I never expected this to happen. But you are the legal heir, the only heir to the Genovian throne, and we will accept the challenge of helping you become the princess that you are. Oh, I can give you books. You will study languages, history, art, political science. I can teach you to walk, talk, sit, stand, eat, dress like a princess. Given time, I think you'll find the palace in Genovia a very pleasant place to live. Live in it's Genovia? A country, Amelia, really. Whoa, whoa, just rewind and freeze! I'm no princess. I am still waiting for normal body parts to arrive. I refuse to move to and rule a country. And do you want another reason? I don't want to be a princess. Oh, oh. Amelia. Amelia. Well, <laughs> fantastic. I just love, there's a couple of lines there which really fit. You know, a princess by marriage, Julia Andrews. Well, you wouldn't think so, would you? She, isn't she wonderful? Julie Andrews, <laughs> princess by marriage. Uh, but actually, Mia was a princess by blood. And there's a choice for us too, whether we continue living as we always have, or we step up to royalty and the throne. And then there's that line, of Julie Andrews, we will accept the challenge that you will become the princess that you are. I can teach you to walk, talk, sit, stand, eat and dress like a princess. And that's really what I want us to get hold of today. 
We too are royal by blood, by the blood of Jesus, and we are training for reigning. That's what our lives are about, and it's what the Bible says about it. So just in case you think I'm making this all up, let me just give you a few verses. First of all, in Revelation 5.10, it says that we are being made like him to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And then it goes on to say, and they will reign on earth. Reign? They will reign on earth. Secondly, that we will one day share the throne with Jesus. To him who overcomes, he says, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Can you imagine? Can that even sink in? And then one day... It goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that one day we will judge the world and angels. Did you know that the saints will judge the world? Do you know that we will judge angels? That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You see, God is preparing us for a whole lot more than we think. You know, I wonder how many of us thought I became a Christian to get my sins forgiven and to get my home in heaven and that's enough. There's a lot more that God has for us. But it's here, while we're on earth, that we must begin to live with this sense of royal destiny. But it takes some adjusting because it's not where we've come from, is it? So let's just look at Ephesians chapter 2, because that's what we're doing. We're working through Ephesians and just look at a few verses there. And we're going to look at Ephesians for a little while, and then I want to bring some application for you. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, first of all. Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called circumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in heaven, uh, citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Separate from Christ and excluded from citizenship. You see, we were strangers to the kingdom of God. That's what Paul says. We were outside of his kingdom. We were outside of the king's domain. We were not part of the people of God. We weren't even considered. Now, and we don't often talk about this, but before Christ, it was just about Israel. It was just about the Jewish nation. Uh, they were the chosen people. They were the ones who had the covenants. They were the ones who had the blessings of God, the promise of protection, and the promise of preservation. And so not only were we outside of that, outside of his kingdom, but we were also then excluded, outside and excluded from citizenship of this kingdom. We were foreigners without hope. We were stateless refugees. That's how far removed we were from God's kingdom. That was our position. Not that the Jewish people had got it all right. I mean, the Old Testament, isn't it? It's full of their failures. But at least they had God's promises to them as a people, as a nation to preserve them as a people to God. But Gentiles, as a people, were separated and excluded. And so as Peter explains in 1 Peter 2.10, we were not a people. 
save that we were a people without mercy. That was the description of us as a people, a people without mercy. Can you get your head around that? I mean, did you realize how desperate our position was without Christ as a people? I mean, have you ever thought about it? What would it mean to be excluded like that, to be without hope, to be refugees in the world with no rights and no remedies, destined to destruction? That was our position before Christ. So we were strangers. But now, Paul tells us in verse 13, let's just read Ephesians 2, 13 to 18, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have now been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the one-two and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. But of the two thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So we were strangers, but we've now been brought near to the kingdom of God. It's by the blood of Jesus. It's by his royal blood that this dividing wall of hostility that was between us and the people of God, between us and God himself, has been broken down. It's been removed. It's been set aside for this purpose, to create in himself one new humanity, bringing them together, no longer excluded No longer refugees in the world, but made together as one people, Jew and Gentile. Or as Paul says in Romans, he says, we have been grafted in to the people of God, inheriting all of the promises and the goodness of that people, but more so because of Christ. All of the promises, but more so. More so because... We have also been given access to the Father by one Spirit, verse 18. We've been given access to the Father. We're not excluded from his kingdom, neither are we excluded from his kingship, his presence, intimacy. So we've not only been brought near, but we've been brought in to his kingship, into his family, into his presence. You see, even the Jewish people, even though you know they were nearer than us, because they had the promises of God, they had the covenants, but they never had direct access to God. It was through the law, and it was through strict regulations of priesthood. So the priests would go in once a year to the presence of God. But for us, as Hebrews, I mean, if you read the book of Hebrews, what it keeps saying all the way through is, we have it better. (laughs) That was good, but we have it better. We can come into the presence of God. We can come into his kingdom. We can thrive in that, in his presence, and connect with God himself. Brought into access by one spirit. So is it any wonder that when Jesus walked the earth, 
his main message and the message he taught his disciples was to preach, the kingdom is near. The kingdom is near. Look at all the miracles. Look at all the healings. Look at all the demonstrations of power. The kingdom is near for everybody. That was why that message was so crucial. So Peter says in in chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10 says, But you, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we're brought near, we're brought in to the people of God, and we are given access to the Father by the Spirit through Jesus. We are part of his royal family, which Paul then goes on to explain. Let's just read verse 19 to 20. Consequently, because of all that we've just seen, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, praise God, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself, holding it all together as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Wow. Three things then. We're members of his household. Three things, no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens, members of God's household. You see, our refugee status has been cancelled. Our citizenship has now been ratified in this new kingdom. Our new passport has been issued, and this comes with phenomenal privileges. We are made a part of the royal household in God's kingdom. And this literally means, if you look at the original Greek, it literally means, part of that household means you are blood relatives. Blood relatives with Jesus. I mean, last week I talked about adoption and being made legal heirs. Well, this is what it means for us. This is what it actually means, made royal by blood. We are legally and relationally connected to Jesus, blood relatives with him. Shut up. I think that's what the girl said. Do you know this mean what this means is that our sonship is provable. It's our DNA. It's our DNA now. Spiritually, our inheritance is unchallengeable. We are close relatives with Christ. We have, as John says, the right to be called the sons of God. <laughs> Excuse me, I might get excited. We have the right to be called the sons of God. We've been given this right by no one other than God himself. 
So that's pretty hard to challenge. And yet, so many of us tiptoe around the kingdom like we don't belong. We step out in things of the kingdom so gingerly, just in case we get found out. We, so we exercise our authority cautiously. And nobody bats an eyelid, least of all the devil. I've got to tell you that I am preaching to myself. This series has messed with me. But you know, royals are pretty proud of their identity and they will defend it vigorously when challenged. There was a recent example of this uh, just last month with this man. Let's see if you recognize who this is. Looking a little shocked there. That's Prince Andrew. And I don't know if you heard about this, but Prince Andrew suffered uh, an indignity of mistaken identity. Uh, he was walking in the gardens at Buckingham Palace. And I, I, this is just so funny and also so appropriate. I just want to read you the whole article uh, from the Daily Mail on the 17th of September. <laughs> I read all the other versions, but this one was the best. (laughs) Here goes. It says, Prince Andrew reacted with fury at gun-wielding officers who mistook him for an intruder at Buckingham Palace and asked him to verify his identity. Two heavily armed policemen confronted him as he walked in broad daylight through the ground, sources revealed last night. The fifth in line to the throne stood his ground, asking the officers, don't you know who I am? And was said to have made his thoughts plain during the hardly charged confrontation that followed. A royal source says he was incredibly, incredibly angry. It was very much a case of guns being pointed at him and halt who goes there. Yesterday, police issued a a humiliating apology to the Duke of York over the extraordinary error. According to the Daily Mail, a source said that the Duke was red-faced as he shouted at the officers like a schoolteacher. They said it got pretty heated because he kept repeating himself, don't you know who I am? He felt that the officers had sneaked up on him and believed that they behaved disrespectfully towards him. They added that when the penny dropped, they apologized to Prince Andrew, but that was not enough. The source added he gave them a proper dressing down, shouting at them like a schoolteacher before he walked to the main, back to the main house, completely livid. <laughs> oh, I just love that. But you know, I've often said, and I really believe that there is a demonic conspiracy to stop each one of us finding out who we really are. Because if we really found out well, a whole load more people would get healed, saved, delivered, and our community would be changed. I mean, how many of us have stepped out into this kingdom realm only to find a gun leveled at your head and being ordered to lie on the ground while somebody with really dirty feet tramples all over you? Has anybody just stepped out? You know, I've stepped out in a healing or I've stepped out in a word of knowledge or a prophecy or something and I just feel knocked down. You know, and I think some of us, 
could do with joining Prince Andrew in his loud proclamation, don't you know who I am, and having that kind of audacity about our position in Christ. Because the reality is that our identity has changed. His royal blood is running in our veins. But just the knowledge of this isn't enough. We need to believe it and then start to live it. It's like Princess Mia. We need to learn to walk, to talk, to sit, to stand, to eat, to dress like royal people. And so often we're like paupers and have no sense of our identity and our authority in Christ. We're so easily knocked over by things, cast down, thrown aside. So for the next rest of this talk, I just want to use some imagination and, and say, well, what kind of things would this realization change if I was to really get hold of it? You know, what are some of the characteristics of royalty that we now need to put on? And firstly, I'd say that it would change our behavior. It would change the way that we behave, you know, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we feel about ourselves. There's certain things that we just wouldn't do as royal people. Those things are just not becoming. I wouldn't lower myself to those things, behavior that wasn't appropriate, places that I wouldn't go anymore. And behavior, I would say, not that's motivated by some kind of external rules or regulations that we put on ourselves or others, but out of a recognition of who I am. Because, you know, I'm a child of a kingdom that's full of light, full of love, full of joy, full of holiness and power. So how can I associate with darkness and sin any longer? How can I? It doesn't mix. It doesn't make sense. You know, we need to put on Christ and the robes of his kingdom. What are those robes like? What are those robes of royalty like? What do they look like? What are they made of? Well, Paul lists some of them in Colossians 3. He says this, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, he could just have easily have said royal people, as God's royal people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. What are your clothes like? What do you wear? You know what this means? This seems like a contradiction, but hopefully you'll follow me on this. It means that I can take pride in who I am now. I'm not ashamed anymore. I don't have to walk around with my head bowed down. I can start to act and think like a royal. You know, imagine these robes of compassion, put them on. You know, this will affect your whole demeanor. You know, royal people, if you watch them, they tend to hold their heads up high. Have you noticed that? They tend to walk with their heads held high. They're not always looking down at the ground. There's no condemnation for royal people, you see, because they know the king. And guys, we're not meant to be miserable because of our sin anymore. <laughs> because Jesus has taken it away and dealt with it. You know, so many Christians struggle with condemnation. And they walk around like the cares of the world are on them. There's no joy. 
There's no peace. It's torment. I remember praying with somebody just a while ago who had just done so many bad things in his past. And he was just way down. You could just see literally he, he would stoop. And I prayed with him and, and we just broke some of those bondages, some of those chains, some of those behaviors. We just prayed and said, Lord, release that and forgive that and wash that clean. And he repented. And it was like I could just watch him standing. And by the end, he was like this, looking up, because God had just lightened the load. We're not meant to be depressed and down because of our sin. You know, royal people hold their heads up high. Royal people are at home in this world. Does that sound weird? Why are we at home in this world? Because it's our Father's world. He's the king. (laughs) And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I say this advisedly, but guys, we need to walk around as if we own the place. (laughs) I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about confidence in who we are as Christians. You know, um, I see so many people walking around, Christians, none in this church, but, you know, when I go to other places, I see so many people walking around and they're kind of so apologetic. I'm sorry I'm taking up so much space in the world right now. Have you met those kind of people? They're just so down on themselves. They're so down on other people. Royal people lift their heads up and walk around the place as if they own it because it's my father's world. There's a confidence there. There's an audacity in the promises of God. You know, it's amazing how much demeanor can change the way people view you. Or how much you can change an atmosphere just simply by the way that you enter a room. Have you noticed that? (laughs) Oh, so-and-so's in a bad mood today. You can just feel the atmosphere. Hey, guys, what about going into your office on Monday as a royal person, into your classroom, into your workplace, into your home? Change the atmosphere. Don't come under the atmosphere. Bring the atmosphere. Now, what would it be like if we all came to church on Sunday like a bunch of royals? Can you imagine the atmosphere? It would be charged with confidence and expectation and grateful thanks to the one who made that possible. To have the load lightened, to really know that God is in charge. And you know, when we get this, our speaking and our thinking about ourselves will change. You know, so many people put themselves down or have low opinions of themselves. It's not about self-esteem. You can get all the self-esteem lessons that you want. It's about knowing the Father's esteem. (laughs) That's what counts. 
Because when I know how much God loves me, then actually what I think about myself isn't so important. Okay? We shouldn't have such a low opinion of ourselves. Not that we should be arrogant, but I don't think there are many people here that are much in danger of that. You know, sometimes I think we're too self-deprecating. But often the reason why we've got such a downer on ourselves is because of the way that authority speak, uh, uh, figures have spoken over us when we were growing up, for example. You know, parents have incredible power over us, teachers, even doctors. You know, I remember praying for somebody about a sickness, and actually the thing that was holding them in sickness was the words that their doctor said to them. You're going to struggle with this all the rest of your life. And I said, no, you're not. I just break that over you now and set you free. You know, some of us need to be set free from some words that have been spoken over us. And a whole load more of us need to hear some new words of encouragement that God speaks over us. I just want to say to you, if you need encouragement today, will you come up and tell me afterwards, and I will encourage you. If you feel like I need words spoken over me today, come up and I will do that. There'll be other people who want to do it too. Let's encourage one another. Let's release one another into the destiny that God has for us. Because God has got some amazing things to say about us. Do you know how much God loves you? When our speaking and our thinking about ourselves changes, our thinking and our speaking about others changes too. You know, when we're at peace with ourselves, we tend to view others differently. How we tend to think or speak about them. You know, how often what we're saying and projecting onto other people is because of our own needs and our problems. When we can get that resolved before God, it changes completely the attitude that we have towards others. We're royal people. And the whole thing about honouring others is about recognising that in one another too. Recognising the royalty throughout. Second characteristic is to do with authority. So the first one's about behaviour, the second one's about authority. You know, naturally speaking, royal people have authority, don't they? And... uh, They have less authority than they used to in this country, but historically and certainly biblically, uh, royal people have incredible authority and influence over whole regions and even nations. And that's true for us too, spiritually. You know, I was so encouraged this week, um, I visited Fran and Mark's life group, just thought I'd just give them a little plug, just a great life group that they've got going over there. But there's something particularly that Fran said that really stuck with me. She said that as a group, since we started this series on identity, that they'd learned to pray with more authority and more confidence. And they'd seen so many answers to prayer. So they started the evening with just sharing all these answers to prayer for impossible things. And I loved Des' face when he said, when we prayed about that, I never thought it would happen. And it did. (laughs) Wonderful. So we prayed that God would give him more of those. But do you know that prayer changes things? Do you know that when you pray as a son of God with the king's ear, 
they're incredibly effective. Can you imagine how much more readily you would pray for people or pray for situations if you knew the authority that you had and the effectiveness of your prayer? And that would be because of who we are. It's not about praying the right formula, getting the right words. It's about knowing who I am when I pray. And that I'm going to be received and I'm going to be loved and I'm going to be accepted in God's presence. That his ear is inclined towards me. Now, I know I'm stirring up trouble in what I'm saying today. And I deliberately want to provoke you. Because I know that some people will want to protest because of the numbers of unanswered prayers or things from past experience. Very unpastoral of me, but I don't care. You know, I, I, I have these too. I have disappointments. I have things that didn't work out. I have things that I don't understand. But I'm not going to be bound by them anymore. I really mean that. I've had to work this through. <laughs> I'm not going to be bound by them anymore. I'm not going to let it stop me praying big things. I shared with you a few weeks ago how God had been speaking to me about healing again and what have you been doing with your healing gift? And this week it was, as I was just thinking about that again and just reviewing some of the differences I've seen since I've repented of that, I suddenly realized that one of the reasons I backed off was because I prayed for somebody a few years ago and it went wrong. And I realized that because of that, I'd lost something. I kind of hesitated more. But I'm no longer backing off. I've repented of that. And maybe you're struggling with disappointment or disillusionment. Maybe there are issues for you to work through with God and say, Lord, I don't get that, but I'm going to put it aside and I'm going to ask you for some more things now. And I'm going to move on because I'm not going to be held back because I'm a royal person and you've given me authority and you want to hear what I've got to pray. And you know, when we get hold of this authority this royal authority that God has for us, I believe that more of us and we as a church will grow to have influence. Because, you know, we're meant to be influential. We're meant to affect our community. We're meant as Christians to affect even this nation with our prayers, but also with who we are and what we do. Because, you know, royal people affect things and other people. So where we live and work, you know, we're meant to be salt and light. We're meant to be salt and light. We're meant to be preservative. We're meant to be cleanser and expellers of darkness. (laughs) You're meant to affect the atmosphere of your workplace when you walk in. You're meant to. You're salt and light. You're going to make a difference. And sometimes you get a reaction. Encourage yourself when that happens. That's meant to happen. Because the darkness doesn't like the light. Wow. If we really got hold of this. 
It's amazing how much influence we have because of how who we are affects what we do and what we bring to other people's lives. But you know, royal people are also meant to have influence with one another, too. With one another. You know, we can inspire one another to do great things for God through honour, through encouragement, through prophecy. You know, we were seeing it, weren't we, a few weeks ago, that Samuel, he anointed Saul to be king. And I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear that talk, get it up on the website and listen to it. I think it's a powerful prophetic word for us at this time. But Saul had no desire or concept of what it meant to be king. He wasn't royal at all in his thinking. Okay, He just didn't get it. Everybody else did, everybody else saw it, but he didn't get it. And then Samuel prophesied over him, and it says that God changed Saul's heart. We can do that for one another. We can. We can encourage each other to such an extent that, you know, I believe you could do that. I believe you should go for that. Or we can prophesy and encourage one another. And it changes our hearts and it opens us up to a whole load more stuff. You know, sometimes perhaps some of us perhaps in the past have been confined by the expectations and words of others, especially these authority figures. But the antidote to cursing is blessing and encouragement. That's the antidote. You don't have to go pray in all these big prayers. Just bless one another. And God will do the rest. We can release one another through encouragement and prophecy because, you know, I want us to do great things for God. I want to do great things for God. I want to see God move in my lifetime. I want to see him break out. I really do. Do you know, I love that part in the Gospels where the disciples are having a who's the greatest discussion. You know, <laughs> what's really funny is they don't think Jesus has heard them, but he hears the whole thing. And they're all saying, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Who's the one? Who's the one? Who's the man? And you know, uh, we tend to condemn them for this. We sort of say, that's pride. That's wrong. But actually, they were just ordinary men with great expectations. How did this happen? How did this happen? How did they get to be like that? What changed? And you see, Jesus didn't rebuke them either. He did hear them, but he didn't rebuke them. It was something to do with being around Jesus. You see, something... Something about being around Jesus made them ambitious to do great things and to be great. Something about Jesus pulled them up. Have you ever been around people like that who just, whew, I feel like I changed the world being around them. I just get so much out of it. Well, Jesus was like that, but he was the son of God, so like mega like that. With Jesus, I can jump a wall. I can conquer. Is it the same to be around you? Leslie, I'm so glad that you're nodding. (laughs) 
I agree. You are incredibly encouraging. We need to be like that with one another. Not only to know our own identity, but to release identity in one another. And of course, later on in the book of Acts, the same disciples were identified by the authorities as being troublemakers that turned the world upside down. Because they stepped out in the greatness of the calling that God had given them. And I believe that a time of release is coming for many people here today. I believe that this series is significant timing for many of us. I've had so many interesting conversations with people the last few weeks, and it's all been about identity, just being challenged. Just need, could you pray for me about this? I need some help with that. God's doing something amongst us. How is your training for reigning going? What steps are you taking? What's God challenging you with? What steps of faith is he calling you to take? And I think, you know, it's time to put out the pauper and get off the ground. You know, some of us have been on the ground too long because of disappointments and disillusionments and fear. The gun's been pointed at our heads and somebody's tramping down our back. Let's kick it off. Say no more. I am a royal. By blood, a son of God, part of his family, in Christ, recreated. Powerful. Just conclude with the words of the Apostle Julie Andrews. who I believe spoke for the Lord when she said, we will accept the challenge that we will become royal. We will allow you, Lord, to teach us to walk, to talk, to sit, to stand, to dress like the royalty we are in Christ. And Lord, we say that with all humility, knowing that it's all because of you. I want to encourage you, as a, as a, as a response to this, is to just stand up and hold your head up high. We are royalty. We are the people of God. And if there's been any heaviness or any weights or tramping down, This is a step of faith. I'm just saying, I'm going to stand before you now. I'm going to ask Tom to just come and lead us in that song again, the royal song. And let's sing that song about the majesty 